This is the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology, covering industry analysis, data, and market forecasting for quantum technology markets worldwide. Now, here's your host, Christopher Bishop. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Quantum Tech Pod. I'm delighted you're listening. This is Christopher Bishop. Welcome, no matter where you're sitting on the planet. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My guest today is Dana Anderson. He's the co-founder and chief strategy officer at Cold Quantum. Dr. Anderson has been involved in guiding and manipulating cold and ultra-cold atoms since 1993. He collaborated with Professor Carl Wyman and Dr. Eric Cornell, 2001 Nobel laureates in physics, on guiding cold atoms through hollow core optical fibers in the mid-1990s. Dr. Anderson co-founded Cold Quanta in 2007 and was instrumental in developing Cold Quanta's breakthrough cold atom quantum technology. Today, Cold Quanta is the leader in cold atom quantum technology, the most scalable, versatile, and commercially viable application of quantum. The company has three lines of business, quantum information processing systems, providing Albert and Hilbert. We'll talk about that in detail. Uh, the Devices and Machines Division, which provides components for quantum computing companies and quantum lab environments, as well as vertically integrated instruments and systems products for commercial and government markets. And the third line of business is Quantum Research as a Service, which supports the government and enterprises developing quantum inertial sensing, radio frequency receivers, and networking technologies, including high-precision clock prototypes. Worth noting that Cold Quanta is now part of Inflection, and is based in Boulder, Colorado, with offices in Madison, Wisconsin, Oxford in the UK, and Melbourne, Australia. So welcome, Dana. Thanks for joining me. Uh, it's a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me, Chris. So Dana, I always like to start the podcast by asking my guests to share a bit about their own personal quantum journey. Each one is unique, right? And my objective really is to give our audience some detail around certainly what you did before you founded Cold Quanta but also to orient our audience more broadly to the fact that there are many ways and various paths that people have taken to get into the field of quantum information science. So could you please share with our listeners a little bit about your background and paths so far, like where you grew up, where you went to school, what you studied, and insight into organizations where you worked or did research? I grew up in Chicago, and in fact, I had uh, a physics role model. My father was a physicist. Uh, he worked with some of the greats, uh, especially Enrico Fermi. Uh, he was part of the Manhattan Project. Uh, he was a professor at the University of Chicago. So I was steeped in physics. And among the four children, I'm the youngest. And I was the one left to do physics. And I liked working with things and playing with technical stuff, taking it apart. Uh, so after high school, I went to uh, Cornell University majoring in electrical engineering, specifically with the purpose in mind that I'd become an experimental physicist. And I thought electrical engineering was probably a better background than that, than the uh, more pure approach to physics uh, some of my colleagues in the physics department had done. After that, I went to the University of Arizona for a PhD, thinking that I would become an astrophysicist. Uh, but the coolest stuff on the block and... Uh, uh, just uh, I found very compelling was uh, lasers and quantum optics. So I got a PhD in quantum optics. And for telling some of my future, I did some of my PhD work on developing ring laser gyroscopes 
at Lytton Guidance and Control, uh, a company that was acquired by Northrop Grumman, and I still have colleagues from Northrop Grumman that uh, uh, connect with that history. So the goal there was to develop laser gyroscopes for inertial sensing, and that feed forward is some of the things I do now, but with atoms. So after uh, Arizona, I went to uh, Caltech and worked on the very early stages of LIGO, that's the Laser Interferometer Gravitational Wave Observatory. And that taught me what it was like to work on a very, very hard problem. It took 30 years before that uh, system was up and running and changed the worldview of uh, the heavens by detecting the first gravitational waves from a, a binary star collision. After that, I joined the faculty of the University of Colorado. I became a fellow of, the, of JILA. And remember, I was trained in quantum optics. I worked on precision measurements. I also, uh, just before leaving Caltech and coming to Colorado, got very much involved in optical neural networks. Hmm. But at the JILA Institute, where uh, Eric and Carl uh, were also, uh, they do, and we're famous for atomic physics. So eventually, I couldn't help but be um, intrigued and attracted to this other field, uh, which started to grow around uh, late 1980s with uh, techniques for cooling atoms to near absolute zero. And then Eric and Carl did the Nobel-recognized work of producing the first quantum matter, matter that changes its behavior when you're extremely close to absolute zero, about a millionth of a degree above absolute zero. So that's my path. And uh, that's more or less preparing for how I got to uh, Coquana. Well, thank you for sharing. With the connection to Enrico Fermi, my goodness, that's the royalty, if you will, of the physics space, was, right? The segue is, so you're at um, you're in Colorado and want to ask, you know, what, what led you to make the transition from academia to starting a company. And I know you still teach. We'll talk about that later uh, in the in the podcast, but wonder what the factors were. There's always, you know, was there a compelling event, an aha moment, maybe a seminal conversation with Dr. Wyman and Dr. Cornell? Uh, yes, there was a seminal moment, and it was closely associated with the demonstration of Bose-Einstein condensation. Even at the time, that was recognized and acknowledged to be the atom analog of the laser. And I'm a very practical applied physicist. And to me, this was going to change the world. It did change the world absolutely in physics. It, it uh, created whole, a whole new field and in fact, several fields. And I thought it was going to have huge impact. Um, I had a lot of experience working with companies, even as a, uh, a young faculty member, I did research uh, supported by Northrop Grumman, first Lytton and then Northrop. And it was very clear to me that something so difficult and so complex uh, as quantum, uh, it's, it's very hard for an established company to pick up new technology that's that subtle, that esoteric at the time. And I felt the only way to see this technology get out into the world was by starting a company. And I had been very fortunate working with Eric and Carl and others at attracting quite a bit of funding. As I said, I'm an applied guy. Their uh, fundamental 
fundamentally interested in quantum. So I got good support from the Army and DARPA to develop the technology in my lab. And I said we'd get it out into the world. And that was the glimmer in uh, uh, my eye and, and some of my colleagues to start cold quantum. Terrific. So as I mentioned in my opening remarks, cold quantum has three lines of business. Um, let's talk about the quantum information processing systems. So you have two available solutions, Albert and Hilbert, one named obviously after the renowned physicist, Albert Einstein, and the other after an influential but perhaps less, less well-known 19th century mathematician, David Hilbert, right? So Albert delivers access to quantum matter, as you mentioned, specifically Bose-Einstein condensate, BEC, and allows users to control the sophisticated hardware remotely. By the way, congrats. Um, Albert received many awards last year, including being listed by Time as one of the best inventions of 2022. Uh, Hilbert 1.0, again, is a cloud-based qubit quantum computer targeting 100 qubits in the near term, and it leverages the natural scalability of the cold atom approach. I read you're targeting uh, 1,000 qubits in the longer term with strong connectivity, fidelity, and miniaturization at room temperature without the refrigeration that's required. So tell our listeners about these two solutions, maybe the unique value prop each one brings to the market and any insights into plans for further development. Absolutely. So Hilbert is, as you mentioned, a gate-based uh, quantum computer and uh, its cousins, indeed my friends and colleagues at cousin, are the ion-based quantum computers that are done by Quantinium and IonQ and others. Uh, the cold atom approach has some similarities in, in particular uh, that you can cool atoms or ions using lasers to extremely low temperatures. Uh, the systems that they sit in can be at room temperature, so you don't need big cryostats and so on. Uh, right. And it's also quite easy to trap and hold uh, very large numbers of neutral atom qubits with laser beams. So first of all, the atoms are, are absolutely identical as far as any phys physics knows. Uh, so it's very easy to get identical qubits. It's quite easy to hold them in, in place with laser beams, address them with laser beams, uh, move them with laser beams, and so on. Uh, so the advantage is in scaling qubit number. The hard part is uh, a matter of engineering of uh, addressing them well and accurately and getting laser beams uh, to be the right frequency and pointing them and so on. But the scaling itself is not such an issue. We think that scaling to uh, up to about 10,000 can be done without any revolutions at all in technology. Uh, scaling to 10,000 may not be an issue, but I'm not at the same time saying that it's trivial to get them all well-behaved qubits. And that's the challenge in front of us. Uh, and of course, the power of the quantum computer by now is well known of being a general purpose machine. And indeed, it's being general purpose that is the challenge, because to make a general purpose, everything has to be so well organized and behaved. On the other hand, there is Albert, and Albert is not a qubit-based system. And Albert is specifically targeting uh, developments in sensing, first of all, like inertial sensors, RF sensors, and so on, to use cold atoms because they're just they have exquisite sensitivity on the one hand, and the other hand, quantum signal processing, 
where you can manipulate quantum signals before they become classical signals. And that proves to have enormous advantages uh, when one thinks about uh, once you have a signal, what do I do with it? I want to filter it, massage it, and so on. And a comment back to Hilbert and the cold atom approach, as, as you know, Colquan has already deployed cold atoms in space. So what yeah. we believe is that the very practical aspect of being able to work at room temperature uh, and have quite sizable uh, number of qubits or equivalently a sizable number of cold atoms that are doing analog signal processing, we can actually work at the edge of sensors and sensing uh, from, from the sensor back, uh, back and further back from the edge into the signal processing and computing with cold atoms more easily than other technologies in particular, since we don't require a big refrigerator like the superconductors and so on. Uh, so that should give you some perspective on Hilbert on the one hand, conventional quantum computer, conventional in the sense of being based on qubits, and Albert, which is really a different, very different class of machines uh, for sensing and quantum signal processing. I was in Boulder in June and got to meet both Albert and Hilbert. It was pretty, uh, pretty exciting to see these, uh, these instantiations. Yeah, congratulations. Uh, let's talk about the other two lines of business. Uh, just our listeners, you know, give, let's give them a sense of uh, devices and machines as well as quantum research as a service. You want to lead off or shall I just jump yeah, so in? Let's, well, let's talk about devices and machines. So what's, what's that? What's the focus? What's the so, go-to-market with that line? Let me, let me begin with the following story. Okay. Uh, you can ask, what is humankind's most quantum thing today? Hmm. And that most quantum thing might sound a little bit boring. It's a clock. Uh, yeah. And that clock, and it's just down the street from me um, in, at the Jill Institute, where I uh, still do teaching and research. And let's compare that clock, which is very quantum, to the timekeeping clock uh, at NIST. They're the ones, when you ask what time it is, they're responsible for delivering it to you and it being right. Right. And those clocks are incredibly accurate. They're based on cesium. They keep the world time. And the most quantum thing that I'm talking about is a million times more precise than the world timekeeper. Yeah, that's mind-boggling. It is <laughs> mind-boggling. And so we think of that factor of a million as being the promise of cold atom quantum technology. And those atoms that keep time uh, utilize all the things that you've heard about in quantum. They use superposition. Uh, they use um, entanglement. And they're incredibly well-behaved uh, and incredibly well-controlled set of cold atoms cooled to about a millionth of a degree of absolute zero with laser beams held by laser beams and controlled by laser beams. And so that technology we see has enormous value, not just as for timekeeping, but many other things like inertial sensing uh, for, in particular, for uh, deep space navigation underwater where there's no GPS and for GPS denied environments. And so 
the devices and machines part of the company is has a commercial path first to develop a clock product uh, and then many other classes of vertically integrated products. That's sort of the, the vertically integrated of the list that you gave. And yet uh, from its very beginning, Colquana has made technology that nobody else has uh, simply because we've had a 15-year head start. And so we also supply uh, our competitors, our researchers with this component technology is the way we see it. Uh, the more people that are doing quantum, in particular cold atom or ion quantum, the faster the ecosystem will grow and the faster will grow Coquana's business. Yeah. And the sooner we'll get to benefit overall, right, from this technology. Actually, I'm giving a cloak in this afternoon and I sometimes give a popular talk called Quantum in the Kitchen. And, oh, I love that. Uh, and that's because, especially as an entrepreneur, you work backwards from the future. In 40, by let's say 2040, we expect that quantum is not going to be so esoteric, not going to be so unfamiliar, not going to be so strange and mystical. It'll be familiar enough and commercialized enough that you'll find something that's quantum sitting next to your toaster in the kitchen, just as you can find transistors and lasers and so on. And I love that. These are, to, <laughs> these are going to be sophisticated uh, products, and that is what Coquana has aspirations towards, and that's what the uh, devices and machines part of the business is all about, as they say, from components to get more people doing this to vertically integrated systems eventually being cheap enough to be uh, sitting on your kitchen counter. Fantastic. Was there a way, do you share that uh, content anywhere? Could our listeners see any of that or is that proprietary um, for? No, it's not proprietary. It's a public talk that I'm giving and I've given it other places. It, it varies. This one is particularly tuned for a physics audience, a fairly sophisticated physics audience, but uh, sure, glad to share the material. As a follow-up, I'll you know, get with you, and maybe we can put a link to uh, a document or if there's a presentation on SlideShare or in a Google Doc Absolutely. or something. Yeah. I, yeah, sure. Again, I, I, it's a terrific concept, and I think more people need to be sort of aware of that, right, and, and have that sense. I think it's great. So let's talk about the third line of business, quantum research as a service. So that sounds like very um, exciting and necessary and you know, thank you for doing that. Can you tell our listeners, you know, how that works? What's that process? Well, it is co-quantum's uh, bread and butter. Quantum started to explode. Pick your pick your time scale: 2016, 17, 18. Um, co-quantum's been around since 2007. Quantum technology remains very, very hard. If you want to get into it and build hardware. Uh, it'll take you, at least if it's based on cold atoms, it'll take you three years, a cadre of, uh, of uh, PhDs, and a lot of, uh, a lot of dough. The forefront yeah. of quantum is still moving relatively slowly to, uh, compared to what we need it to be. So, so first, Colquana does and always has done research for uh, the defense community, for NASA, um, DARPA and so on, and also collaborated with other companies to advance uh, quantum technology. 
as Albert matures in particular, um, the, there'll be a close relationship between users that have very practical intentions of developing their own sensor technology and Coquan's expertise in quantum. And uh, together, we hope to move uh, quantum into the field to be deployed and so on uh, with our hardware and our quantum know-how, but with the requirements being defined by customers who want to turn quantum technology to their business advantage. I, I hope I answered your question. If you have more specifics, please ask. Yes, no, absolutely. And this, it's a perfect segue because my next question is the perennial one, the $64,000 question, although I speak with guests who are not old, old enough to remember that TV show. <laughs> but um, the, the, the reason I pose it is clients, right? So, And by intimation, real-world use cases. So yes. um, Colquant is in a unique position in that you not only engage, as you're saying, directly with clients, but play a strategic role in the broader quantum supply chain, if you will, with many companies purchasing components manufactured in your lab. And as you described, the quantum research as a service business line. So I read that, you know, over the past 15 years, you partnered with the U.S. government, with NASA, several other global governments and organizations. As you mentioned before, your tech is even on the International Space Station. How cool is that? So. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about maybe a project or two that stands out in your mind um, as examples of how we are leveraging quantum today to deliver unique value? Yeah, let me let me do one indeed that addresses today, and then uh, the forward looking a uh, forward looking project. Okay. Today, I already uh, alluded to it. It's it's clock technology, and it's not the factor of a million I just mentioned you can trade off that factor of a million in raw performance for reducing the size, reducing the cost, and so on. And these are very critical factors for practical technology. But even with those reductions in size and cost, you can still get performance that's uh, better than the world timekeepers. And were those things useful? Uh, it's actually rather remarkable. Every single a financial transaction that you make needs to be timestamped. Uh, and when currently the way they're timestamped is by referencing to GPS. Similarly, when uh, data in data services manipulated and distributed, timekeeping is really, really important. Uh, Google's data servers have uh, are tied to GPS and tied to atomic clocks for when GPS goes out. There's actually enormous value in something that seems relatively mundane, like better clock technology. And even in, in a national security context, the better timekeeping that you have, particularly in a GPS-denied environment, as I said, that can be underwater, it can be in deep space, it can be simply that GPS is denied or spoofed. It's remarkable how much precision timekeeping can play a role in secure communications, for example. So clocks is already something that is quantum, brings quantum value, and uh, we think is a great market as an entryway into the you know, real uh, return for a quantum market. And looking forward, as I said, what I am most excited about as I said, is this marriage between sensing and signal pro quantum signal processing. You hear very, very little about quantum signal processing 
in the general buzz of the quantum com- community. But I think think of this aspect of quantum signal processing has to do with uh, signals that are typically generated from quantum sensors, not necessarily, but typically, but have a lot of the advantage of quantum computers in, in their use of quantum properties, such as the very large Hilbert space, intentionally named because that's one of the uh, tremendous powers that come to bear uh, that are brought forth by quantum computing, but also by Albert's quantum signal processing, but now also in real time. And uh, the point is here is when you're special purpose and targeted, uh, you can have machines and purposes which are much more forgiving than they are when they're general purpose computers. And so recently in my own lab and and what Colquana hopes to, not only hope, but intends to put on the cloud is machine learning technology, which does absolutely remarkable things uh, together with sensors to make those sensors adaptive, perform well, and so on. And as I mentioned, part of my growing up, uh, and just as I left uh, Caltech and went to the University of Colorado, one of my primary fields was optical neural networks. And now I feel we're sort of back there with our of quantum. And it's just so stunning to watch these two things work together to make sensors perform well, adapt well, uh, and manipulate quantum data uh, in ways that were just not possible before. And CoQuantum wants to make those available to the quantum community uh, through Albert. Um, Albert will be primitive at first, but over time we'll get more and more functionality such as machine learning capability. Um, and that project, I think, can make a big difference uh, for innovation in this uh, in this community. Yeah, no, fascinating. Kind of expanding, extrapolating out on the theme of sort of the broader community and Colquanta playing a role in sort of supply chain and working with our companies. Um, I realize, you know, the importance of partnerships is key, right, to the su- successful adoption of quantum-based solutions. So um, you were recently awarded a five-year subcontract to develop portable atomic clocks along with Vescent, um, who secured the award. But tell our listeners how this partnership will work from like a tech and IP perspective, how this partnering will, you know, move move us forward. Uh, I, I will, but let me give you some backstory about Vescent. So uh, Vescent also came out of the Jilla Institute at the University of Colorado. And the founders were three of them. And one of them was also named Anderson, no relation to me. But he was the first author on the first BEC paper. Um, And so they had the same genetics, uh, so to speak, academic genetics and heritage as cold quanta. And uh, we began a partnership many years ago, in fact, about 2005, uh, to develop the first commercial uh, BEC machine, which ultimately led to the one that's on the International Space Station. And they built our lasers for us. And uh, I was actually, I say for us, but at that time, it was uh, a very close alliance also with the University of Colorado, uh, with SRI Incorporated, and with Teledyne Scientific. And um, so, first of all, to say that these partnerships, even 
in 2007 were incredibly important to start the gears rolling to get other companies invested and uh, seeing a value in a business in quantum technology. So we've been working with Vescent for uh, many, many years. Uh, and that's because cold atom quantum technology is absolutely dependent on laser technology. Uh, so uh, in this particular partnership on a clock, these high precision clocks need something called a frequency comb. And behind frequency combs is yet another Nobel Prize, uh, also at the University of Colorado by Jan Hall, just absolutely remarkable, seems kind of mundane, but it's another technology that changed the world. So in this partnership with Vescent, we're marrying those two technologies, frequency combs with cold atoms to make these incredibly uh, accurate clocks. And as I said, we have the same in intentions of making things small, making them deployable. And uh, the more we work together, the more effective that becomes and the better the roots grow uh, in the supply chain. So they supply to us, even though we were actually a subcontractor to, to them, we will probably be uh, the supplier either of a complete component of an OEM product of the actual timekeeping devices. And you're right. Uh, so that's a, that's sort of from Coquana's point of view, um, looking down at our vendor, cultivating them, uh, cultivating them as a supply chain member, looking up, so to speak, we depend very much on solving other people's problems. And to that end, let me just point out that there's really three views of uh, quantum, and you're going to maybe ask about workforce development and so on. And those three views of quantum are quantum for quantum's sake. That's the quantum computer. We're using quantum to speed computing, and uh, we need quantum supply chain uh, vendors and so on to make that happen. There's also quantum for classical stuff. A good example of that is inertial sensing, radio frequency detection of RF signals for communication. In there, Coquana knows it's quantum technology, but it doesn't know the problem sets. Uh, so we have to partner with people that care about, know about um, inertial navigation, like Boeing, like Northrop, like Lockheed Martin. Those are incredibly important partnerships if we want to see uh, quantum advance for both for the economy and for national security purposes. On the RF side, with again, with the defense primes, but also with commercial entities, uh, the communications companies, we need these partnerships in order to uh, have uh, quantum technology cultivated, innovated, and thriving into a strong business. Yeah, again, the key partnerships. Let's take a moment and talk about inflection. So the new company, right? In November, um, it, you announced with a statement on the website. I love this statement. It it's time to take quantum out of the lab and move it from quantum hype to quantum deployed. So uh, the description says the new company is going to serve the commercial quantum market with cold quantum, continuing to advance groundbreaking quantum research, as well as supply components. Can you tell me what precipitated this kind of what you were describing with the Vescent partnership, I think it's a logical, um, again, extrapolation, right? Uh, 
And I know that the company acquired Super.Tech. wonder what role that that acquisition played and how it's going to more broadly affect cold quantas go-to-market and solution set. Uh, it's a very good question, and it reflects on a lot that uh, I get to learn being a very hardcore tech guy and physicist and watching people in business who know business as well as I know quantum mechanics. Uh, the naming of an inflection or the creation of inflection, uh, we can think of, uh, as I tell my colleagues, sometimes uh, in business, we give birth to our parents rather than to our children. Um, and there's a very good reason for that. Uh, Coquana, having been around for 15 years, having been very much on the forefront of, of uh, pushing on technology that was for, for all practical purpose from outside view, really hard, rather boring, but uh, really functional. And we're, we've become, Coquana that is, become very well known for that. And that reputation, those capabilities on the one hand should absolutely be preserved and play the role that Coquana has always played by preserving that name Coquana at the same time. It's an incredibly different set of people that know how to make a hundred of something, a thousand of something, 10,000 of something to manufacture, to have quality control. Coquana, uh, as a company, we're really good at making one of something. We were really good at putting something in the International Space Station. We only had to do that twice. Uh, when it comes to doing hundreds, a thousand of something, that's a different personality. That's a different operation. And one shouldn't confuse the two. And our CEO, Scott Ferris, I appreciate very much, said we need to preserve, uh, on the one hand, the capabilities and the role that Colquana plays without changing uh, its genetics, its, its culture. At the same time, this company has to be able to manufacture hundreds or thousands of something totally different um, uh, environment and company. And in the long run, oh, quantum technology right now, Chris, lasers is a good example. We talked about Vescent. Uh, they're expensive. Um, they, by, by uh, iPhone standards, by smartphone standards, they don't work very well, uh, meaning that... Uh, thousands of hours, uh, meantime before failure, work in space, space qualified for, you know, uh, long periods of time, et cetera. They're not there yet. And so as inflection grows, uh, I expect it'll grow horizontally to incorporate aspects of its business to have complete control of the supply chain and where it needs to push on the technology itself, it will. And that is where Supertech comes in, for example. Um, super tech, they're, they're incredibly knowledgeable, both about quantum and quantum algorithms. But as a very nice example, they are now engaging with Albert on machine learning, on sensing. Um, they are a different breed and a different um, expertise that inflection needs to finally develop products, sophisticated products, high level interface with the world in a different way than Coquana's accustomed to. 
So I think over time, you'll see some additional brands under inflection or other acquisitions and so on to best address these vertical markets we're targeting. I hope that answers the question. As I said, I'm I'm very pleased at the perspective our CEO has had of uh, preserving the strength and, and the culture uh, and the capabilities of Colquanta while still impacting in a very uh, larger way the quantum ecosystem. Well, yeah, I think that, and that's the exciting part to me. Like, is that, so the indication is that there's a market, that there's um, broader applicability, potential opportunity, obviously revenue and impact um, that you know drove creating inflection. So that's that's very exciting, I think. May I add uh, one perspective to that Yeah, about the market? Because I certainly appreciate that quantum technology in general is in the suicide zone of creating new products for a new market. And my perspective is the following, that the U.S., the U.K., which we've also had an office since 2014, Australia, Europe, and so on, we have to do this. We have to uh, bring quantum technology into the forefront, or we will not be able to compete because you cannot, there's, there's not another frontier. You cannot do better than quantum. And in the future, if you're not at the quantum limit, you won't be competitive. So for me, it's never been a question uh, about market. There isn't a market. Uh, especially back in 2017, uh, 2007. But there has to be one. The U.S. and other places have to do this. And it's my job, it's our job to, uh, to make this happen, to demonstrate that and ensure that uh, the, as I say, the U.S. and other countries are staying at the forefront of this perhaps final frontier technology. Yes. Well, thank you for sharing that perspective. I think that's terrific. Uh, I want to shift gears and talk a little bit about workforce, a topic that's near and dear to, to me, and want to get your take on the challenges facing a company like Colquanta and finding talent, You know how you go about recruiting for your company. I know you're still working as a professor of physics at UC Boulder, and as you mentioned, you're a fellow at Jilla. I'm wondering if that makes it easier to recruit and also your take on, like, are there rules in specific disciplines that are harder to fill than others? Yeah, that's, that's an extraordinarily good question. I, too, am very passionate about uh, workforce development. And, yes, absolutely, it does make it easier to, uh, to recruit. Uh, as I'm a faculty member at the University of Colorado, and if you looked at how many uh, quantum PhD physicists are here and who they are, well, an awful lot of them you know, unusual high percentage. I'm not talking about 50% or 200 people now. Uh, but several of my former students he are here, Jilla former students. Uh, you know, ironically, Mark Safman, who leads our quantum computing effort, uh, he's a professor at the University of Wisconsin, but he's also uh, plays an instrumental role in Cole Quanta's Hilbert machine. He's my former student from the 1990s. The community, in fact, is, uh, you know, the core part is actually quite small. Chris Monroe, this, this, the uh, founder of INQ, I was on his thesis committee and so on. So there's, at the hardcore quantum physics base, uh, there's a huge advantage of being 
an integral part of the academic community. At the same time, it's really important to understand that being able to solve Schrodinger's equation is like having spice for a recipe that involves an awful lot of other things. You need a few of them, and they play a very, very important role. But what you really need is a lot of other things and a lot of other kinds of engineering. And what I will say, and I hope there's some uh, administrative academic decision makers uh, that listen to this, you know, it's it's not well understood what the needs of the quantum workforce community are. And I said, as I've said, um, quantum really has a collection of different perspectives, quantum for quantum's sake, quantum to solve hard classical problems, and classical to solve hard quantum problems. And that's where we really need the workforce to grow. We would like quantum familiar, not quantum experts, but quantum familiar RF engineers, quantum familiar mechanical, optical, optomechanical engineers, quantum, you know, quantum familiar, um, you, you name it. And that training doesn't really exist much here in the US. Uh, to train, for example, engineers with perhaps the best engineering faculty who are now who are now understanding what the needs, the RF needs are for, for say, superconductors, or the RF needs are for quantum RF that we do. Uh, if we had students prepared that way, that would be a huge boon to the U.S. Um, we do have trouble recruiting more in the engineering fields. They're in high demand across the community. Um, I will say it's a struggle hiring in, in quantum physics as well. Um, and we certainly have uh, challenges hiring in software and so on, where we compete against uh, the Googles and so on. In fact, one of uh, my colleagues, graduate students who worked a lot with us on machine learning and quantum systems is now working at Google um, rather than, you know, Coquana or one of its competitors. As I said, I too am passionate. I think there's an issue about um, appreciating the value of just being quantum familiar rather than um, quantum specialist in engineering. Yeah. And, and so we train yeah. most of those. We have a quantum mechanic who's very proud to be the first co-quantum's first quantum mechanic. They don't uh, solve Schrodinger equations. They make machines like Albert work. Yeah, that's terrific. So quantum familiar, I love that term. And I, again, I my sense is that could be applied to even, you know, non-scientific roles, quantum familiar marketing people, quantum familiar biz dev people, quantum familiar project managers, quantum familiar, um, you know, uh, UX Absolutely. people or whatever, right? That's Across right. the range of disciplines, right? Yeah. The, the, the good news is, is that Coquana is different. Uh, we're very broad. And so we're also very lucky still to be able to attract some really high quality workforce. Um even all the way up to business development, we recently, I mean, it was just a thrill for me, uh, hired a person from one of the aerospace leaders, and he said he was just practically giddy because being on the forefront of quantum. And, you know, when you come and see that co-quantum makes real things that you can hold in your hand and, yeah. and turn around and so on, I mean, it's <laughs> it's it's awesome and very attractive for certain the kind of technology-oriented person uh, yeah. that, that the things are real. 
Yeah. And so that's it. I'm going to point people to the Cole Quanta careers page. If you're interested in working with Dana, right, please take a look. Um, <laughs> we've come to the come to the end, Dan. I want to I always like to end the podcast by asking um, asking you for your vision of where quantum information processing, including computing, might be in say three to five years. And more broadly, what kind of impact do you think it's going to have on how we live and work? Get to wax philosophic for a moment here. Yes. Well, I've given you my working backwards from the future vision of um, quantum in the kitchen. That's where we're going. It's not going to be there in three to four years. What I think you will see almost certainly, even with through some of our competitors and other new companies, is a marriage, a much tighter marriage between sensing, uh, and, and I'm going to conclude clocks in that, and quantum information processing. I think that others will may follow in CoQuanta's lead of making them available in the cloud, so that whereas the world changed after IBM in 2016 put their quantum computer on the cloud, so suddenly anybody and everybody started to become quantum familiar with in the computing context, and everybody and anybody will be able to become familiar with the quantum sensing and quantum uh, quantum signal processing context along with machine learning. I think you'll see a lot of that growing very rapidly in the next few years. And if I'm uh, by then, CoQuanta and some others will have clock products out there as uh, ticklers, so, so to speak, in the value of quantum. And I think that you'll start to see emerging from, from there uh, quantum RF in particular, you don't hear much about it, but it's a big deal. And uh, then quantum inertial sensing, as I said, the U.S. has to do that in order to stay at the forefront, both for national security and economic reasons. And you'll see more and more technology pointing in that direction. It won't be deployed yet. Uh, you won't see it much in space yet or in use, but you'll begin to see testing. Uh, you'll be, begin to see real uh, evaluation of things working in the field. And I think, uh, if we're lucky, in partnerships, you'll see companies that you didn't know were doing quantum starting to make hardcore investments through partnerships and internal invest, uh, monetary investments in applying technology for their future. It might be an autonomous vehicle industry, uh, communications industry, and so on, begin to take shape in two, three, and four years. Well, Dana, thank you so much. I want, I want to invite people to follow you and the company on, on LinkedIn. I'm going to point them to your website, uh, coldquanta.com. I know that uh, they're tweeting at, at inflection is the handle. Um, and it's been a terrific conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. Chris, thank you very much for this. I think you do a great for service for our community. And I wish you the best of luck. And thank you very much for taking your time with uh, inflection today. Thanks, Dana, for joining me today. And thanks to all of you for listening. Please share this podcast on your social media channels to increase the impact of my conversation with Dana. Please listen to my other podcast episodes if you haven't already. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. This has been a production of Inside Quantum Technology. You've been listening to the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology. For more information on this episode or other topics relating to quantum technology, visit InsideQuantumTechnology.com.